Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Cybersecurity Amplified and Intensified, the number one cybersecurity podcast with your host, Eric Taylor, and myself, Shiva Maharat. The Russians are coming. The Russians let's, are coming. Let's is it the records? Let, let's load up Red Dawn on the VHS player <clears throat> or Betamax. And no, the Russians are not coming. That was just our clickbait. Yep, clickbait, very much. But so, in a way, they are coming, I would imagine. So... The InfoSec community, at least I am, and I know a couple other folks are, you know, sounding the bell, you know, with everything that's going on globally. If y'all, so I guess let's lay the scene. All right. Everything being true or whatever, you know, you got the whole situation with Russia and Ukraine, right? Um, now you've got Biden who put the first round of sanctions in, supposedly supposed to put a second round of sanctions in today. Uh, one thing there, remember Russia has been under some form of sanctions since 2014 when they annexed Crimea and yeah. yesterday's sanctions were directly aimed as far as I could tell at, uh, the Donbass and Lubusk, uh, people's republics that were, I guess, declared yesterday or acknowledged by the Kremlin. But see, they're independent people, you know, they, they're like, whatever, shut up Russia. Um. So I don't know that whole freaking whatever. Um, but now Biden is supposed to put out another round of sanctions today and why he just didn't do it with the first round. I don't know. I mean, I don't, think he, office, had, he I don't think he had stack. real cause to do it. Quite honestly, uh, Ukraine is not a member of NATO and they probably won't be. Otherwise they would have been brought in by now. With 130, 150 odd thousand troops on the borders. What I find really interesting about all this is one of the proposed sanctions, and I don't have anything to back this up, just other than pure speculation, is if the U.S. gets the SWIFT banking system to drop the Russian Federation. Now, the Russian Federation has something in place to mitigate that, which they've been building steadily since 2014's annex. Annexation? Is that a word? Of Crimea? Annexation, yeah. And you have about 20, 25 odd uh, Western countries that are already signed up on that system. And then you have China. And that new pipeline that was just announced between Russia and China, that's not connected to their existing infra uh, pipeline infrastructure, which means it's all going to Asia. Mm -hmm. But where I have a concern, and you really stoked this in me, Eric, is that if SWIFT drops the Russian Federation, I can only imagine that the American and European banking systems and its members, which are private, will get an onslaught of ransomware attacks or hacking attacks. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're going to go after whoever is stopping their funds, right? I mean, it's, it's only natural. So we've said it before, you know, Russia is not opposed and not, this isn't the first time that they can suffer hardship. You know, it's like they're in their DNA. It's their culture, man. Exactly. And I don't mean that in a good way or a bad way. It, it's an, it is what it is thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And going, uh, we were talking about this in depth this morning, Eric brought it to my attention, the Credit Suisse, uh, Panama style, Panama paper style leak. And part of me wants to think that is a precursor to warn financial institutions 
not to partake in sanctions. Yeah, I do think it's a, a warning shot, if you will. Like they're going to flat out say, or they, they're just like, look, like you said a moment ago, don't mess with us. We are triggered and we don't care. I mean, let's remember who Putin is. Former KGB, maybe still KGB. I, I don't know if KGB is really truly disemboweled. I hear being in the KGB is like being in the Marines. The only time you get out is when you're dead. Pretty much. So, you know, it's people have got to understand, you know, take gas prices going up. I mean, it's going to infect or not infect, but it's going to affect. I think it, a lot of people could be used to. Maybe, but if you, th you, you take off a country's resources, AKA money, they're going to find another way to make money. What is Russia known for, except for, you know, gas and everything else that we they export ransomware. Yep. You know, a lot of evil people are in, you know, Russia. And I mean, ransomware is a distributive attack. It is a distributive network. You know, not everything is in one specific spot. You know, Revil, Black Matter, all of them are spread out all over the place, right? So you, you affect the people of that world. They're going to find another way to make income. They're going to start attacking. So let's get to the crux of the matter then. Your IR, right? What do you think? And, you know, I love doing this shit on you, pulling it on you. What are your top three things that companies should shore up immediately? Immediately. The top one is IT making things. sure, make sure you do your logs. Okay. You know, if you've got any gap in your logging, you need to shore that up like fucking yesterday. How, how do they identify the gaps? You start going through, oh, it's like, okay, my firewall, what is logging that? Not physically going into it, but is that syslog being pumped out to a third party that you can aggregate it? Is your Windows devices, your Mac devices pumping that out? Is your switches pumping that out? Do you have cloud infrastructure? Are you monitoring that stuff? Making sure all of your logging, nine times out of 10 doing your logging will be your first keys of indication that something's going fucking awry. Okay. And for a company that doesn't have logging, that should, even though I believe I speak for both of us when I say every company should be logging. Absolutely. How do they go about vetting and getting a good solution in place post haste without having to, you know, do the whole mundane runaround of vetting 10 vendors, whittling it down one at a time and the, the minutia that comes along with that. I mean, I could be self-centered and just say, you know, call us at barricadecyber.com, right? Do it. <laughs> but you got to. I would strongly recommend getting with an IR firm that does incident response, um, retainers. So, you know, you could bring an IR firm like us, like Krog, like Coveware and some of the other big players in, and they can start getting injected into your network right away. So if something was to happen, they are already there. You don't have to wait to get. As, uh, SOPs and SOWs put together and NDAs. Legal or, agreements. Yep. You don't have to wait that time. You can start working on getting your business back up and running. If how something long, happens. Once they sign off on your contract, how long for you to get in into their systems? Normally within two hours. 
Okay. We're really, really proactive. So almost as fast as ransomware. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's item number two? We got logging. Um, we got logging. Number two is any sort of tool that you're using for remote access, your team viewer, your splash top. God forbid, please don't let it be RDP. Um, Why not? Ransomware <laughs> deployment protocol is, I mean, it's pervasive. It is. It's, it's very inviting. Um, make sure that you've got logging turned on that. You've got the MFA, the 2FA, whatever it is, and you're actively watching those for failed logins. Okay. Are there any remote access programs you would, I'm not going to put you in a hot seat, say that you would recommend to stay away from? but that you, Eric, Barricade Cyber, and your team would always try to stay away from, other than RDP? The, the free versions of things. I mean, any desk, remote PC, go to my PC, um, you know, any of these free tools. Why is that? Because anybody can sign up for it. You don't know what you're in, inviting. Okay. Right? There was an exploit not too long ago, and I don't know if it's still there or not on TeamViewer, where you could just hit a web page and just keep enumerating the API for keys and it'll start popping. Okay. What's the password? And then you can start doing enumeration on that. Okay. Uh, so of course you don't know what's on the other end. You know, it could just be a kid playing freaking Minecraft who knows, but you know. Okay. So number one is logs. Number two is secure your remote access protocols or software that you use. Don't use the free stuff. Mm -hmm. What's item number three? Inventory, asset management, and disaster recovery. How do you do that? Because that, that's a, you know, you're talking about two major things, I would say there, which is the asset management piece, which we covered uh, in a previous video, uh, two weeks ago, maybe, maybe three. Mm -hmm. And then disaster recovery planning. And before you get to the answer, I want to have people understand that disaster recovery planning should cover your entire business operation. Mm -hmm. Not just IT. Yep. So we've made the analogy here before that the client gave it to me a couple of years ago. That's really home truths. Like if your house is on fire, you know, what is the things that you want out right away? You know, your wife, your kids, things of that nature, you know, you don't want, you want to make sure that you are assessing the data in a true fact. So if your business got hit. It completely taken down. What's the top three things that you need to get back up and running first, right? Your domain controller, maybe your blind of business applications, maybe, maybe your accounting package, you know, how long is it going to take to get that stuff up and going? And then what depends on those things, you know, your workstation tying into your domain controller, your, I don't know, whatever may be integrated in with your accounting packages and things of that nature. So you got to build that tree out of if your system got nuked, what are the things that you got to do? What depends on what? It's rebuild out that true disaster recovery plan. And, you know, can it be, you know, spun back up from backups? Can do you need to migrate it to the cloud temporarily and then bring it back up? It's a whole thing, but you got to start doing it. You got to start doing it now. You know, not all data is, <laughs> Gutrant, <laughs> doing a little German there. Sorry, those for those who listen to the audio version. <laughs> oh, a little inside joke, um, but anyway, the you got to shore up 
your asset inventory. You know, if you didn't learn from the log J four situation, you know, now is a good time to start doing a trial run and start getting that information. Right. So, uh, that, that's just me. Yeah. Cause that's always the things that everybody's like, well, we need to get back up and running. What's your most important things? They don't know. So with these three or four things, and let's say we're looking at a company anywhere between a hundred user or 50 user and a thousand users. Cause to me, it's the same scale, right? If you're mm -hmm. using centralized systems, it doesn't matter if it's one or 100,000. Yeah. How long do you think it should take to vet these solutions and put them into place? That's a good question. I would probably say under a week. Vet them all and implement? I mean, you'd want to, it would probably take you a week to assess what the good solutions are. And then another week to vet and find if they got ransomware there's a good likelihood that their email is compromised so it makes sense for you to well them to call 1-800-324-9941 and i hope that dear god that is your actual phone number it, it, is, it is okay um but just because disclaimer if you call that it still shows it simplified i gotta get that ivr recorded so anyway if you hear IT simplified, you've got the same company. We're going through a name change, but anyway, um, those who are listening on audio, y'all really got to go to the video because she was having fun with the banners. <laughs> there's but new anyway. functions. There's new features, a shiny toy syndrome. But yeah, I mean, I know it doesn't help the immediate here and now, but you've got to get started somewhere, right? Yeah. I, you know, I've never been a fan of these protracted engagements where let's figure out the solution well if you're coming to me i probably have a good solution in mind mm -hmm. it's probably been vetted i can give you the thirty thousand foot overview i can go into detail but it shouldn't i don't think it should take any business more than a week to vet any solution testing is a different story yeah but I think there's a big difference when you're looking at deploying a crowd strike and you're looking at deploying a web route you can POC Webroot for five years and still be tits up fucked. But I do think, in my humblest opinion, I do think, you know, testing is part of the vetting platform. So let's just say you have a backup or backup platform that you're using. Um, you know, and finding for those out. Of you listening, Eric loves Datto. Uh, sorry, children. Fuck that shit. No. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was Brian. Brian loves Datto. Never yeah. Worked. Okay. And he's even got the dead pillow. He bites it when they go and dry. But anyway. <laughs> um, oh, emotional damage. Sorry, children. Um, I see what you did there. I see what you did. The, now you got me all sidetracked. But yeah, so let's just take disaster recovery or backups. You know, if you have a local repository, great. How long does it take to recover that? You know, a lot of times you have Hyper-V and VMware, most of those ones will spin up a recovery version of that VM so that we can test. But here's where the real shit hits the road. When you're using a cloud infrastructure, you know, you're backing it up offsite. You know, you're using a backblaze, you're using an S3 bucket, you're using whatever. How long does it take for that data to come back down? 
And that right there is part of well, the last Is one. the S3 bucket secured? Well, that's a different story altogether, right? <laughs> Chances are it's not, or not, not well secured. Yep. Because then you have guys like Eric out there who just come across random open buckets and they're like, what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, prioritizing your data, you know, because you could be like, okay, I need to restore all of my backups. Well, which one's the most important ones? And that's where that prioritization comes in. You know, what is it going to, what is the most cur uh, crucial information that you need to get back down loaded within the next 24 hours to get your backup and run it? You know, your workstation data, maybe you can wait, you know, toward the end of the stuff. It really depends on the role, the feature of that person in the environment. Um, you know, but this is things, conversations you got to have and not all data can be treated the same. I mean, I fundamentally disagree with Eric on that one. I think all data is important because if they can get to some chances are they can get to all in the, well, in the vast majority of the SMB and mid level enterprise. Uh, to be fair, to put an asterisk on, I'm talking about disaster recovery. Oh, okay. Um, so I have a question for you, and it's going to put you in the hot seat. So You've already done it enough times. Let's go. Fuck yeah. Fuck, did I forget what I was going to say? <laughs> no, I did not. Okay. Russians are coming, our clickbait headline. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're physically coming, but I think they have been coming via cyber. And when COVID started, the great pandemic of the 21st century, or at least the first one, we were told to secure the identity, forget the device, forget the firewall, secure the identity. Now, Mr. Taylor, because you are IR, and you have probably seen this more times than I care to recount, correct me if I'm wrong here, if I were to get on a device and grab some Kerberos tokens, I can pop that identity like no other mm -hmm. so what is your thought what your methodology or your plan on how they should secure the endpoint for the work from home my two cents is secure the identity and the physical network or the network layer yeah so that really is another case-by-case -case scenario right so i do not subscribe at all to just protect the identity. Cause just like you said, you know, there are too many classes that have been going on for years that even I've gone through. Uh, if you don't believe me, go talk to, you know, Black Hill security. You know, I got trained by them on some of this stuff. Go, go watch any DEF CON watch in the past couple of years that most of them demonstrate this, where you can steal the Kerberos tickets from an MFA through a phishing page. Uh, doing a man in the middle and be able to steal that identity and log in as that person for the next 60 days because Microsoft and Azure and all these do not rotate those tokens fast enough if you keep it at default. So doing that, and I think it was last week or the week before, it's something I want to do a proof of concept on that I've been meaning to do, but things has been busy, but you could drop a DLL file on a workstation and we... <laughs> Um, you can drop a DLL on a system uh, inside a system 32 reboot and all the plain text stuff is being logged, you know, even, you know, so if you get local admin, even though it's part of a domain, it will start dumping those domain creds right into a plain text file on that workstation. Did you see that Microsoft last week put out a release that very soon defender will be able to prevent theft of local credentials on a device? 
I call bullshit, but it was announced. I'm interested, right? So I want to see what they're going to do. It's going to be interesting. I mean, Defender, Microsoft is really trying to do a lot of cool stuff with Defender, but Defender has had its track records of problems, right? Well, I think, and I hate to say this publicly, but fuck it, whatever. Microsoft is doing to Defender what they did to Internet Explorer in the early days of the browser wars. They are tying that shit so deep into the OS that you can't pull it out. And we're going to get to a point where it's going to be really hard to convince our clients to not go with Defender. It's already being included in various SKUs for Microsoft 365. Mm -hmm. And Intune gives it a whole different life. I know MSPs may not like it because they don't have that, you know, multi-tenancy management unicorn dashboard bullshit. But their tax surface reduction policies are enticing. Yeah, I mean, they do have a very cool feature of ransomware prevention that ties into OneDrive. The, the problem is if you're not part of Intune and you're not part of a domain that's monitoring and doing the GPO of OneDrive, it's very easy to turn those precautions off. Right. Yeah, just, I mean, it's all registry keys. Let's be honest here, right? It is. And that's all Huntress is doing. You know, fuck it, here we go. Let's throw Huntress under the bus. But they go and say, oh, well, we do AV and stuff like that. And, you know, Huntress does a lot of cool stuff. Don't get me wrong, but their Bitdefender, or not Bitdefender, their Windows Defender monitoring, it's just fucking registry key monitoring, which you can do with any RMM. It's the same shit that Rocket Cyber was doing too. So they're not doing anything fucking new and inventive there. Uh, they are bringing, they bought a, an EDR company uh, a year or two ago that's coming to market. I think they have it in beta in some way, shape, or form with some they of their do. customer base. And according to something I, oh God, was it LinkedIn? Probably. I think it was Twitter. But yeah, I did see something come out from Kyle. Not sure and they said that they stopped nation state actors because their EDR was able to find it. So, you know, if it's true, Mazeltov? I mean. So there was, I'll have to dig it up. There was, I think it was on LinkedIn. It may have been Twitter, but you know, like Kyle posted some images and stuff like that. I was looking at some of the files that are there and I'm like, hold on. That's the same shit that's in Sans class that we did. That's been around for years. Concepting it. Yeah. That's all they were doing was proof of concept. Oh, we're just speaking of cool. proof of concept. We love CrowdStrike here. We think they're the bee's knees or whatever that saying is, right? Catch me out. Did, I like it. So did you see that Carbon Black announced an eight-hour maintenance window? <gasps> yes. And it ended up being 11 hours that they were totally down. That makes their agent, wait for it, impotent. Yep, it was completely read-only. So I have a question, and maybe you can answer this for me because I'm just a ditch digger here. If you have multiple zones for your product, you know, CrowdStrike has a couple here in the U.S., probably a couple for Asia, a couple for whatever, without going to details and blowing their shit up. Why can't you fail over agents to another zone for that cloud-connected workload while its primary zone is being worked on or upgraded? Got an answer for you. Okay. Garbon Black was originally a on-premise solution that got ported to cloud. Okay. And it's not fully cloud ready. 
So it so wasn't they, built from the ground up for the cloud is what you're saying. Exactly. But I've got to imagine it's as easy as putting a failover URL for the connection. I don't think they're interconnected. Okay. I, I, I can see. Is, so no SIDs to identify, authenticate. Okay. I get where you're going with this. But that's pure speculation, but that's what I've been hearing. But why not just have some kind of baseline failover functionality to keep telemetry going for updates and, uh, upload of sandboxing i mean they got to be smart enough to be able to pull it from there and port it back into something but you would think so but if these are truly independent boxes that are running in whatever zone that they are you know let's just say both of our companies are running under carbon black under east one uh geolocation if that was to go down and all of our stuff is being redirected to east two our agents may get uninstalled or have a problem because they're not registered for that specific server. That's to me, that's a failure on the part of the software. It is. it is. And there's a lot of people that are raising their arms up about, you know, the fact that you could not, you know, so supposedly all of the threat Intel was there. So if you got, you know, if there was something that was already, all of the stopped, threat Intel at the beginning of that eight, which turned into an 11 hour window was there. Yeah. Not yep. what came out a couple hours later. Mm -hmm. Now, I get that you have to announce your downtime, your maintenance windows. It's part of your contract. It's part of your SLA and all the other legalese bullshit. Yep. But isn't that forecasting downtime for the bad actors? Mm -hmm. Especially letting them know, hey, if you have zero days, now's the time to use them. Yep. If you've been scoping out a a prospect that has carbon black in their infrastructure and they have been down or they have a scheduled down out eight hours. I mean, if they did not know that this infrastructure is built this way, then they know it now. But right? do we really believe that any nation state has not mapped out all of these vendors? There was an article that came out maybe last year. The, I want to be careful what I see here because I don't want to be too wrong. <laughs> A Chinese APT or Chinese CCP funded entity bought uh, licenses for Kaspersky, Bitdefender, and a few of the other big names out there to understand the architecture, map it, and use it. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you don't think that the ATP and other ransomware groups are not finding, trying to find weaknesses so when they can get in there and do their work, you're nuts. All right. <laughs> you can do both. <laughs> I just figured it out. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, it's they're doing their homework, right? You as a smart business person, you're going to be doing the homework with whatever product or solution that you're going to do if you're smart. No, I just like, call I'll, you and say, hey, should I buy this shit? Yeah, I'll probably just say no. Um, no, actually what he says is hold my beer and then he goes and does some uh, OSINT on him and then he's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't use that. And if you want proof of that, ask Brian Weiss. <laughs> Almost choked on my coffee. Love you, Bri Bri. Bri Bri. Bite your pillow. Um, he's going to hate me after this one. That's okay. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, so to talk about that, when you're doing your vendor selection, you know, there's so many tools out there. You know, I'll just throw it out there. DNS dumpster and uh, CRT.sh. You know, you start poking around and taking a look. I mean, granted, my stuff that I start doing is a lot deeper than that, but, um, let us put, uh, we'll answer that in a second, but, um, I'll leave it up just so. 
we don't forget. You got it. to, you've honestly got to start doing your homework on them. If they honestly have, and I know we talked about this before, but if they have subdomains that can be taken over, if they have S3 buckets that are open, um, they have all these things, they're not doing their own internal sanitation and, you know, doing, you know, these tools that are free to everybody that you can start doing, you just got to know how to do it. If they're not doing that on their own infrastructure, you know, some of the really easy stuff, I'm not going to really feel very comfortable trusting them with the more complicated stuff. You know, it's, it's like the rope of trust. You know, there is an old fable that, you know, when your kids are growing up, you tie a, you get like a five foot rope and you tie a bunch of knots on it. As they earn trust, you go out on the, tr on the rope to the next knot, they're getting further and further away from you. So if they are not doing their pure sanitations of their own infrastructure and going through, you're pulling that rope even closer well, you can't trust them. Right. I mean, just take it back. Yeah. I want to go sidetrack here a bit, but you and I were growing up, our parents could trust us to run around the fucking neighborhood until the lights came home. Well, that's what I was going to say. Your alarm to go home was when the streetlights came on. Mm-hmm. You can't streetlights are on. You got a couple minutes to get your ass there before you get a whooping. So socially, we are closer on that that rope of knots. You know, you need to do the same thing with your vendors. You've got to do your homework. You know, you can't just be like, ooh, this is a pretty gooey. I think I'll buy it. And don't buy into marketing FUD because I think that's the biggest disservice that's being done by cybersecurity vendors especially some who probably should not be in the space. Which kind of takes us to what Metasploit's asking here. I'll read it out. How will web, how web three will impact job opportunities for white hat hackers. If decentralized web three will be enough to secure, to drastically decrease jobs for web application penetration testers. Uh, you might have to take a stab at this and then let the yeah. expert, uh, take over. No, you go ahead. Cause I'm just going to full disclosure. I don't know a whole lot about web three. I think as long as there's a human alive that wants to tinker, you're always going to need pen testers and security personnel and protocols. I don't think anything is 100% secure. Look at uh, Ethereum. Didn't they just plug a hole? Where was it Ether? One of the one of the crypto coins just plugged a hole where people would have mm -hmm. been able to create their own coins without mining. Yeah, I did see something about that. I don't remember which thing, it, which coin it was, but yeah, the you know I do have right along the same lines of it, you know, to do a religious aspect of things, you know, if man made it, man can break it. You know, the only thing exactly. is, the only thing that could be perfect is made by the creator. So there you go. So what else are we thinking, uh, rush is going to hit? I don't think they're going to hit critical infrastructure because they don't want that type of saber rattling on either side. I do think, you know, we've had over the course of you know, 10 years or whatever, we're, we're having, you know, cyber skirmishes. We're having the data breaches and the ransomware attacks and stuff like that. I just, I really wish and hope and pray that cooler heads will prevail here. I really do not want to see our first ever cyber war because cyber war is only going to go so far until military action comes in to retaliate and it's just going to be a whole different here's fuckery. my thought on cyber war if done right I hate to say this that there's even the right way to do cyber war <laughs> a shot never needs to be fired you can destroy and cripple a country but see cyber this is, warfare this is exactly what i'm talking about let's just say 
we declared war on Zimbabwe. I don't know. Just pick some fucking. They water. don't have internet, so we're safe. <laughs> but we t- we crippled they their infrastructure. Children. They probably have, or we we nuke out their infrastructure. You know, let's just say we take out their internet, or we take out some way of you know their. Take self-tapers. out the Belt and Road Initiative, and they won't have anything. Oh, fucking China. Um, you take out a way for them to communicate. Sooner or later, it's going to be a domino effect into that in, that economy, and they are going to retaliate. You know, would it be okay? Let, let's game this out a little. How does a country like Zimbabwe? And I'm sorry to use this as an example, but it's, I guess it's the first country that came to our minds. Yeah, I don't know the technical proficiency and the supply resources behind their military. Exactly. Neither do I. Could they go up? against a usa major european country or china this is things that you got to figure out you know and that's that scenario you know sooner or later you cause a note and this is what i'm saying you know if sooner or later you're going to cause such grief it's going to require a physical interaction you know if you're going to start fighting Right. I mean, let's unless you're crippled from a technology standpoint, and your military is so used to, you know, satellite Overwatch, and you maybe. lose that, what happens to your military if they can't do basic land nav? Yep. I mean, to take it even more simplistic, let's say we lived right across the street. We don't, but let's just say we did. Um, you know, if I start bombarding you, two cans with, and a piece of string. Yeah. So that'd be a real, really long string to go from New Jersey to South Carolina. But I'm just saying, if we lived across the street, just yeah, done. <laughs> but you, I start bombarding you with rocks, and then I start bombarding you with noise. Then I start bombarding you with signal jammers. At some point in time, you're going to get out of your house, come over here, and try to blow my ass. Pretty much. That's all I'm saying. People are going to only take so much before physical reaction retaliation comes in. And I think if cyber warfare actually happens, that you take that mindset to a much bigger scale, and that's what you're going to have. Well, I think the lucky thing, if there is a luck, silver lining in this, is that the U.S. is here and Russia is over there. So it's harder to mobilize. I'm not saying impossible. But where I see the issue, and that supports your supposition there, is I think yesterday the U.K. announced that if Russia decides to continue cyber operations against them, their military wing of cyber operations will retaliate against Russia. Exactly. My point exactly. Yeah. At some point in time, they're going to get like, fuck you. You know? So he had another comment. What? Sorry, this is live. So dear sir, you're talking about cyber warfare. Tell me how the witness quantum type, how horrible could they be? May they be? Okay. <sighs> That's pure speculation, right? I mean, I don't know how best to answer that one minute split, to be completely honest. I don't think you even need quantum attacks to destroy anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Stuxnet was quantum. I think it was just a botnet that infiltrated and did what it had to do. But if you are going to join us tomorrow morning, we have a cybersecurity roundtable. And one of the speakers is a former... How do I put this? Just three-letter agency. He was former three-letter agency in cyber warfare. Maybe you can pose that question to him tomorrow. See what he says about it. And 
he operates a very a highly proficient and actionable managed detection and response company. So I would probably defer that to him tomorrow. And to be fair, most of the people that are on our panel tomorrow come from former three-letter agencies. Or IC. Yeah. No. So, but anyway, like I said, folks, be prepared. Cert. Gird your loins. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, the InfoSec community is gearing up. I know it. I'm gearing up. My team's gearing up. We're, we're probably by this time next week, I'll be Hot seat question for you. Here we go again. What is gearing up for you? Being more proactive on all the alerts. Okay. Yeah, where we would, you know, we have a certain escalation scale, right? So if it's a lower priority or whatever, we'll be like, okay, we'll look at that in about an hour or two. We don't ever let things go too long, but now we are internally starting to look at stuff in a more proactive way because we don't want those little pieces to become a big piece that's like, oh, fuck. So I have a question for you based on that. I'm assuming you're, you're referencing some type of response SLA. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's say, let's call emergency, and these are not his actual SLA, so don't give him shit for it. This is just me pulling out of my ass. One hour for critical, four hours for uh, high, eight hours for medium, and whatever. Yep. In a time of perceived warfare, or heightened alert, so to speak. Yep, my alerts go away. Are those SLAs further reduced? Like it goes from maybe an hour to 30 minutes. Yeah, they're all greatly reduced. Because I know you've been spooling, spinning up and hiring more talent. So I'm assuming part of that is to be able to respond faster. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and that's what, you know, on a side conversation that we were having in our own private stuff is, you know, we are implementing immediate isolation and containment of workstations and servers. Oh, you know, he had some really cool shit with that yesterday for CrowdStrike. Mm -hmm. Oh, fuck. Yep. So... You know, we're, we're not fucking around. You know, we, we kind of seen the writing on the wall yesterday and that's why I started doing it. So, and then today we're starting to see more and more. I'm like, yeah, not to toot my own horn, but I guess I was kind of right. You know, I just I'm, think it's going to get worse. I've been impatiently waiting for sanctions to be announced by Germany and the U.S. In uh, the U.K. Oh, the U.K. announced it. Did they finally? I know you was waiting for that. Oh, that's what I was waiting for. Uh, come on, come on. Come on. Oh, so. Parent, sorry, guys, I'm reading this live, so. Okay, it's not. It's no, nothing actionable, to quote Brian Weiss, is being done. Uh, Eric, you did a YouTube video this morning, right? Mm-hmm. And he rightfully called out that Germany is halting the certification process for Nord Stream 2. But, and Eric brought this to my attention earlier, he's like, no one's talking about Nord Stream 1. It's still pumping away. Gas is still going from Russia to Germany. How's that going to affect anything? Shell, major U.S. oil petrochem company, operates in Russia. So, are we, are sanctions going to be delayed to allow U.S. interests or friendly interests to pull out, or are sanctions going to be dropped and then it's a sink or swim thing? And what are going to be the backlashes against us? I don't know. It, 
Yeah, of course, this is a very loose and fluid thing. It's, we just got to see what the writing on the wall starts showing. You know, if, you know, if Russia's actually starting to send, you know, these peacekeepers in to, you know, Klev or Cleve, whatever the hell the town is, um, and Ukraine doesn't kick them out, that's almost like inviting Russia in. But Russia's going into Donbass and, um, you clever, how you pronounce the town? I forget uh, the ones that they're, they're, they're going into the Eastern Ukrainian blocks or portions as peacekeeping. Yeah. As a peacekeeping it's, mission. So that gives the rest of the world fewer reasons to go up and send military mm -hmm. aid into the Ukraine and Kiev or Kiev or however they're pronouncing it these days. So, you know, when I read or seen that story came in the old fable of the, I forget which fable it is now. I had it a moment ago, but you know, where you wheeled up the horse with all the soldiers hidden. Troy. Yes. Troy. Troy. Yeah. You know, this looks just like it. I'm like, you're wheeling in a bunch of soldiers to be in your country. I, I don't think this is going to end well. Well, I think there's going to, I think, and the underlying reason for us getting on a live episode today is I think this is going to ratchet up cyber activity tremendously. Yeah. And the point of all of our ramblings and everything we do with this podcast is to help you guys understand what may be going on and how to best protect yourselves. And exactly. I'm a firm believer that protecting yourselves starts with proper asset management and identification. Because if you don't know what you have, you're going to have holes in your flank. Mm-hmm. So. Watch your six. Watch your and ass, everybody. With that, I'm done. Unless you got anything else, Eric. No, man. I'm rambling till the, the cows come home. But it's kind of what it is. Just be careful, everybody. If y'all have questions, please just... If you don't call me, please call somebody you trust. If you have questions about the people you trust, call me. I will literally get on the phone. I would much rather have a call with you for 30 minutes and give you some peace of mind. Like, nope, those guys are good. We trust them. You can potentially trust them, right? I'd re much rather do that than you have any questions. So please just call, just book a calendar. That, let's, let's have a conversation. With that, that's all I got. See ya. Ladies and gentlemen, thank ghouls that are out there on the internet. If you have made it this far, thank you so much for tuning in for yet another episode of Amplified and Intensified.com. You know what? A recent change to the platform. Shiva has put together a new website, Amplified and Intensified.com. If you have heard anything that you have liked about this podcast and you want to engage Shiva or myself or be able to help sponsor by donating us some, some coffee, all the links of our calendars, buying us coffee, Past episodes of both the podcast and the YouTube version are all now on AmplifiedAndIntensified.com. Go there for all of your needs. Thank you so much. And until next time, take care.